Hi, everybody. Uh, this is Dr. Randy Bach, and today is April 6, 2022, and we're having a coronavirus conversation. Uh, presuming you are having a conversation with me, or otherwise it's just a coronavirus monologue, which is okay for a point. Um, we've been doing these uh, going on two years now, and there's a lot to cover. Uh, there's nothing particularly um, kind of brewing up on the COVID front, um, but I'll just, you know, maybe put this out as a bit of a video diary so future selves, uh, including myself, can come back and look at this and see where we were as of April 2022, uh, full two years and more after, uh, what is it, uh, 14 days to slow the spread. People uh, have probably forgotten what that meant. That was uh, so we don't overburden the hospitals, which never really outside of Queens, New York, um, just one borough within New York City, uh, never really got overwhelmed in the United States. Um, this is a worldwide virus, and it's always been a little bit funny or odd to me that a good fraction of the world doesn't seem really to be affected by this, uh, or they don't post it. Um, back going in medical school um, days, and shortly thereafter, I remember uh, hearing and reading a study that said, um, I can't tell you the veracity of it, it's before the internet, I can't find it now, um, that uh, the complaint of, of you know sciatica, uh, lumbar, back pain was not really a thing in in vast parts of, of sub-Saharan Africa. Um, that nobody really you know left work because of it, and nobody complained of it. It wasn't uh, a diagnosis. Here we had a lot of uh, car insurance and um, you know workman's comp, and people had back pain. They stayed out of work when you didn't have the system to kind of support that. Uh, there was far less of it apparently, and it wasn't really a term of art. I'm, I'm sure people got pains. Um, but they didn't really have it classified and uh, qualified and quantified in the same way as we did here. And it didn't necessarily uh, yield um, um, uh, kind of the financial benefits for the individual and or the treating physicians. Uh, at a certain point, you know, I'm, I'm old enough to remember when, when there really were no chiropractors around. And leaving aside whether uh, chiropractic is uh, a thing, uh, valid or not, uh, I personally think it can help people feel better, but I don't think it's really validated by uh, scientific data the same way uh, allopathic medicine is, uh, you know, those with us with an MD, uh, and, you know, the various hospitals and so forth. Um, but there was a thing called, uh, uh, what is it, uh, no-fault uh, collision, kind of like no-fault divorce. Uh, I think it was in the 70s or early 80s, maybe the late 70s, that uh, it was decided that accidents would uh, be easier to adjudicate if nobody had to determine fault. So early on, well, in early on in my life, uh, there was an accident and somebody was at fault and that person had to pay for the other person's problems. So if two people got an accident, you know, I, I kind of look, I don't know, gazing in the newspaper and I zip through the, the stop sign and hit somebody, uh, the insurance, I mean, presuming I have insurance or either by myself, I'm responsible for the, for the injuries, that person's and mine. Uh, then, uh, you know, the New York State Legislature, I think, came up with it first, that it would be easier to get rid of all the problems, the lawyers, litigation, and make life easier, move along smoothly when they got rid of fault. And, and lo and behold, uh, anybody could sue regardless. I mean, I hit you, I have back pain, I go to my doctors, I get paid by car insurance. So it doesn't come out of my pocket. Um, whereas previously it would have if I had been at fault. Well, uh, guess what happened? I mean, the, the, it, it just magnified the numbers of people complaining of, of various, you know, whiplash, uh, neck pain, back pain, all that kind of stuff from car accidents. So then they said, oh, you know what? We're going to solve that. 
we're going to come up with something that's really going to make it hard to get. We're going to get rid of all the kind of frivolous claims. We're going to have a $2,000, um, uh, what is it? Uh, I, don't, I think it, was, it wasn't a deductible per se. It was a $2,000 uh, minimum for a claim to be considered uh, worthy of, of having litigation thereafter. Um, and that was really the, uh, from what I understand, what I've seen, that was the coincidence and probably the cause of, of the, the huge growth in physical therapists and chiropractors across the land. Uh, why is that? Well, because physicians would see you now and then, uh, maybe once a week, maybe once a month or something like that. And you wouldn't at the time from $50 to $100 medical visits uh, back in the ancient days uh, when that was a lot of money, um, you wouldn't garner 2000 So they, they thought it was a lot. Well, the physical therapists and, and uh, chiropractors, they would see you every single day. And this was, you know, let's say, let's call it intentional. And they would get up a $2,000 bill like, boom, like that. So everybody who wanted to get the bigger jackpot of uh, potential, you know, larger claims, you know, $50,000, $100,000 uh, injuries, uh, pain and suffering, all that kind of stuff, missing work uh, that, you know, well, let's say the, the eager, uh, the opportunistic and potentially some of the malfeasant, they would jump on and, um, and go the chiropractor physical therapist route and, and boom, they, so, you know, ipso facto, uh, snap your fingers, uh, presto magico, they would have $2,000 claim. Then everybody, all of a sudden, everybody had that. And as a physician, I remember, um, you know, people coming in and they wanted me to write them, you know, a referral or, or, uh, you know, send them to a physical therapist right away when they had a car accident, they'd come in, you know, walking fine. And I would, you know, why don't we wait and see on this? It's like, well, you know, I had an accident and, you know, the cars, I, I would oftentimes see the car, right. Uh, you know, they'd driven up into the parking lot and so forth. And, you know, nothing was really that far amiss. I mean, if you watch the NFL, I'm not saying everyone should go through uh, damage like that. But, you know, for the most part, people can take a fair amount of, of pounding and still get up. And even if they have some bruises, it's not necessarily anything much to do about them. But, you know, they were off to the races. And the only point here is that the industry somewhat followed the, the, um, the, pu the public law and in a sense, the, the way that, that these things were framed. So so it's hugely not uncommon these days to have, you know, a claim. You you kind of a workman's comp claim. You can have a car accident claim. And you're kind of off to the races, you know, working on your uh, payout. Well, you know, I, I, I see this as, in a sense, you know, kind of the pollution of medicine, the pollution of, of science. And probably it's always been this way uh, with, um, with various, uh, you know, kind of externalities that are going to influence uh, the way you um, handle things. I, I uh, hugely respected a, a neurologist, uh, Dr. Martin Samuels. Um, I think he's still around. I think he's retired. He was at uh, Harvard uh, teaching hospitals, Martin Samuels. And um, another doctor had said this at, at an earlier point in University of Rochester Medical School, that a lot of uh, people's pains won't go away until they have felt that they personally have exhausted every avenue for uh, litigation, retribution, and collection. And so uh, that's not to say everyone is, is uh, you know, kind of a malingerer or working up their pain, but there's this kind of doubt in your mind. And, you know, maybe I feel a little bit of pain and there's a chance I can get some reward for this pain. So we have secondary gain 
And that skews the whole system uh, of, of rewards. You know, uh, you know, if you go back to the African example, uh, people are working a daily wage. If they're not up and around and, and, and getting with it, they're not going to have their daily wage. They don't have their daily wage, absent saving account and all that kind of stuff, a more primitive uh, kind of uh, way of being, uh, say, 50, 60 years ago. Uh, they weren't going to eat. Their family wasn't going to eat. So it was kind of like grin and bear it, get up and do things. Now, is that the right way to do it? I don't know. But, but you know, not necessarily our way is better. And we're going to, you know, maybe point out some of the um, oddities in, in the numbers uh, here and say in sub-Saharan Africa, uh, COVID, you never hear. You hear about the India strain. Uh, there is the South Africa strain, which is kind of the more advanced, um, you know, kind of richer uh, although it's it's having some issues lately, um, residually wealthier part of of of, of um, sub-Saharan Africa, but outside of that, you don't really hear very much, you know, from Uganda, Nigeria, uh, Congo, and so forth about COVID. Uh, I I certainly haven't. I've been following this on a regular basis. You know, what's up with that? Well, there's a very low vaccination rate, probably you know 10% or less. I think Nigeria is you know one of the more organized places in um, that part of the world. And I think even right now they have a vaccination rate of about 10%. But nobody's, you know, hearing anything much about COVID problems there. I don't know if it, I haven't really researched whether they wear masks or whether they make their kids wear masks and do all kinds of things that we do. But presumably it's the same uh, virion, same virus. And and why aren't they having problems with it? Maybe they're just not going nuts over it. Maybe they don't have the money to do testing all the time. Uh, you know, a lot of what we're seeing with COVID is the fact that we do a test on every single hospital patient. Every time you go to school, every time you do this, every time you get on an airplane, we're doing testing. And when you do a lot of testing, you're going to get stuff. You're going to get answers. And they're not always necessarily clinically significant. So we have to kind of parse that out and figure out whether, you know, a positive test means that much. If we did a test for uh, uh, uric acid or a test of, uh, I don't know, some, uh, you know, C-reactive protein on every single person all the time, you know, every time they enter uh, a school, every time they enter a, a gym, every time they enter a, an airplane, um, and then, you know, try to figure out what happened afterwards, you'd get a lot of, I think, false positives pertaining to that particular index of whatever you decided to measure. You'd say, oh my God, gout is really horrible, or uh, C-reactive protein really coincides with a lot of people with chest pain and all this kind of stuff. It doesn't necessarily mean it was cause and effect. They, a lot of times just things are there together. And the fact that we're testing coronavirus like crazy, who knows what that means? And, and as I've said many, many times, um, you know, coronavirus has been with our, around humans probably, you know, forever and a half. And um, as a common cold, uh, one out of five common colds represent coronavirus. So, you know, a lot of this is just kind of like life going on and what we're calling Omicron and this and that may just be kind of recurrent uh, coronavirus, uh, common cold type things. Um, so, you know, we, we see that reflected in the numbers. Anyway, so, th so there's that. I'm going to, uh, you know, go over that. And I also want to talk about um, uh, a letter um, slash article that I'm writing. Uh, I think it's going to be published. Uh, it was held back for publication this week um, based on a few edits. Uh, I hope I can get it out next week. I'm going to leave uh, that up in the air, but I'm going to, you know, maybe read some parts of it because I think it has peripherally to do with some vaccine stuff. I'll see if I get to it. Um, so uh, let, let's just kind of, I, I mean, there's a lot of stuff here and I haven't, you know, completely read every uh, inch of everything, but they're just these are just some things that interested me along the way in the world of COVID this week. And let's see if I can um, uh, share with you. Um, so uh, let's see, here we are. Um, maybe I'll just do this uh, full screen. Um, so this is from the Wall Street Journal I was reading uh, over the weekend. Shanghai workers sleep at the office as China extends COVID-19 
lockdown. Uh, so there are, you know, there are places, again, they tend to be the more built up parts of society around the world that are having COVID problems. And I don't know if they're really getting the same level of sickness. If this is in fact a hard problem in China right now, um, it, you know, arguably it would be because they uh, spent so much time ignoring it and trying to clamp it down and, and make it not exist in the beginning that they didn't build up herd immunity. I don't know. I, I get, again, I think the vaccine uh, in large part is somewhat of an irrelevancy as the virus itself has mutated away from the original COVID-19 strain. So when they say COVID-19 here, uh, I don't know if they really are still getting the ancestral version. Um, that's an interesting thing, but you know, it's like, um, uh, it's an interesting point to see, um, what they're willing to do, um, to kind of keep working. So here, you know, work is, is in China, work is kind of the thing and they have much more authoritarian society. And so they're going to do, um, they're going to do COVID with staying at work instead of locking down at home, they're going to be locking you down at work. I don't know how you'd feel about that, but it's certainly uh, a different way of, of looking at things. Um, what else do we have here? A similar article in the Wall Street Journal. Um, uh, maybe this is the same exact article in the Wall Street Journal, is it? Okay, we're going to probably move on from this. Uh, I'm not going to give you any more Wall Street Journal for right now. Um, there's just a lot of funky stuff uh, going on. Uh, this is an article here uh, from Israel. Um, this was pulled down from, I guess, their social media in Israel. Uh, this is, I guess, um, health minister or, um, and our member of the committee on, on figuring out whether people should be st wearing masks still in April 2022 in the single most uh, multiply vaccinated country on earth. I think the United Arab Emirates has a higher percentage of people vaccinated, but Israel has probably had more total doses because they've somewhat been in bed with Pfizer um, along, along the way and they're you know, getting it wholesale as it were. So I, I don't have her name here, but it's part of this um, uh, video. And she apparently was the only person to show up at this meeting. Uh, given the fact that I'm here alone, I am in favor. No one is against, no one abstains. Um, and uh, this was the committee as a whole. I guess she's over here on the lower right and nobody else decided to show up. I don't know why. Uh, she's not wearing a mask. Uh, she voted that everyone should keep wearing masks. Um, this is, these are pictures of her, I guess, as we go on in this article, this movie, I guess. Uh, that's a kid still wearing a mask. Um, and I guess her name, her name was Alina uh, Bardek-Yalov. Um, and here she is at various uh, functions, uh, not wearing masks. Uh, I'm not going to stop the video at every single point, uh, but you know, the, 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 you know, if people didn't have uh, double standards, they might not have any standards at all. Um, I'm going to, I guess, uh, uh, go around the world and show you a little bit what, what's going on with COVID today. Um, just for the um, matter of record, uh, the current variant strain, uh, the United States, this is purple is Omicron. Now we got some, you know, slightly different Omicron. Uh, I think it's this 21K or 21L. Uh, I think it's kind of a distinction without a difference. Uh, the UK is doing the same thing. They've kind of eliminated all of their uh, masking requirements and so forth. But these uh, purplish Omicron strains are going around. The uh, original, more dangerous ones are more are, are gone. Um, and so I don't think there's much to worry about. How do I know it's not much to worry about it? Well, here's the moving average case fatality rate for COVID-19. So um, this is worldwide. Uh, there's a hugely low case fatality rate, um, and they're doing a lot of testing. The testing is skewed towards the elderly and sick because they're in facilities more often, hospitals, nursing homes, they probably get tested a lot. And so they're going to find a lot of COVID. And even so, the um, the, the fatality rate is, is exceedingly low. Uh, this is about 
0.2%. Uh, and again, I think it's much, much lower when you look at cases as a whole um, uh, of people, you know, actually having symptoms over they don't necessarily get themselves uh, COVID tested. Because again, you're, you're skewing towards the, uh, the um, more sick uh, portions of your population. Uh, getting back to Israel, this is again the most multiply vaccinated place place on earth. Uh, they are not doing better uh, than Sweden. They have the, almost the identical population, and they're probably doing about the same in deaths as Sweden. Uh, you should have in a country this size about 300 deaths per day in general, and so these are very low numbers overall. They're averaging here, you know, maybe uh, 10 to 20 deaths, and these are people with COVID um, tests, but that doesn't necessarily mean very much. Um, the, the number of cases has gone up astronomically, and so the case fatality rate is low. And I think a lot of this is just coincident uh, testing as before. Um, you see the same thing in the UK, um, that the uh, fatality rate is very low. The UK, I think, has uh, close to 60 million people, something of that sort. So they should have a, a death, um, let's say six times, about 1,800 people a day dying. And so they're here, very low numbers, 70, 80, whatever. Um, 200 and so forth. So I think it's, you know, pretty much gone, uh, you know, but on the other hand, uh, people are not taking away the emergency uh, status and maybe leaving in reserve in case there's some election issues and so forth, in which case you might want to get back, um, you know, to emergency statutes, mail and ballots, that kind of stuff, whatever it is. I think a lot of this has been used and manipulated. Um, India is very low vaccination rate. Uh, very low death rate, they had high uh, case numbers. Uh, again, case fatality, that would imply the case fatality rate is very low. Uh, similar in the United States. Um, I'm not going to go through all this, I guess. The one I did want to show is Sweden, which did none of the lockdowns, basically. And they've had a little blip of Omicron cases and uh, very uh, low numbers of deaths. I think Sweden's got about 10 million people. So here you're talking about, uh, you know, a few dozens of deaths uh, and in a place where they'd have 300 deaths per day anyway. Um, and they did this without any of the, uh, you know, craziness that uh, we did in other parts of the world. Uh, there's a map here. I can't seem to make it larger, <laughs> so I apologize. But if you look in here, uh, these little dots are number of cases. Um, Africa's got a lot of people. Um, I think there's probably about a billion billion people in Africa. And um, so more than North America, probably more than North and South America together. And very few little uh, blips here. I think this is a matter, for the most part, of of under testing and not caring and having bigger problems like uh, general starvation, crime, uh, war, civil strife, all that kind of stuff. So when you have other things on your plate, you know, for instance, like the Ukraine uh, has, uh, you know, taken over a lot of our imaginations and conceptions and 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 urgings and so forth, and uh, we don't care quite as much about COVID. Um, I, what else? I think that's pretty much it for the countries. Um, I'm just going to go over, uh, well. Briefly, just a few articles, and then I'm going to come back to my own article and maybe end with that. Um, these are just some things uh, that I'd like to maybe share with you. This is not really a COVID item here. Um, this is, uh, you know, the Hunter Biden biofirm partnered partner with Ukrainian research isolating deadly pathogens using funds from the Obama's Defense Department. I only bring this up because there's a coincidence of public health issues and politics. Uh, cronyism uh, goes where the money is, and there's a lot of money in public health, and public health can kind of wave its wand uh, very quickly and determine the way you have to look at things, the way you have to do things, the way you have to spend your money. And it's a very easy, you know, kind of uh, leverage point to 
get power, money, and wealth, as we've seen with uh, Pfizer and Moderna, you know, making everybody do this and having it all paid and, and with no liability. It's, it's kind of nice work if you can get it, um, and you can get it if you try. Uh, this is not related to Zika per se, uh, but I just bring this up because, uh, you know, if you think public health is only about health, it's also about politics. Uh, so WHO demands an end to all time limits on abortions. Um, not only that, but but um, they 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 want to be able to do uh, get rid of laws preventing terminations at any point. Um, otherwise, risk violating the rights of women, girls, or other pregnant persons. So here's here's the category of people who might get pregnant: women, girls, or other. So this has nothing to do with Zika, with um, COVID. But um, it also doesn't have much to do with health. I mean, it's arguable whether, you know, I think it's it certainly it's not great for the health of the baby, uh, a.k.a. fetus, um, to uh, demand, you know, let, let the, the abortion happen at any point. And, and here you're, you're talking about some kind of vogue politics. I don't think this necessarily flies in Iran, uh, Afghanistan, India. Um, China, a lot of places that are not on the kind of vogue terminology that Europe seems to be on in the United States and whatnot. Um, so there it, there you have it. Um, without zipping around too, too much, uh, Kyrie Irving is back uh, playing basketball. What changed? Uh, nothing except politics. Um, and the Nets are ostensibly in the playoffs and the Knicks are not. So New York has only one team left. And, and essentially the, the mayor of New York caved on this. I don't think they caved enough because they still have masks for kids outdoors. Uh, this is lunacy. Um, uh, there's some articles I'll just let me see, leave some links for uh, that I find interesting. Uh, this is uh, uh, why anger towards the unvaccinated was in, internal um uh, psychological manipulation. So this is kind of a long read, um, and he's looking at a study from 2020. Um, I, I think it's uh, well worth your time, um, and I will uh, leave a link to this. Uh, what are the other ones? Um, well, I think I'm going to pass on on. Well, I guess there are a couple here. Uh, do, 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 do. Um, where were we? I, I, I think I'm going to pass on some of the other ones for now. Um, there are some always interesting articles out. Maybe I'll just leave them in the comments section. Uh, here's something I wanted to read. Uh, this is my own work. Um, and uh, it's about vaccines. And I have it annotated here. Um, but it's Zika's, Zika is very human child. So this isn't COVID. Uh, Zika was the last great pandemic uh, which roiled uh, Brazil in um, 2015, 2016, and ostensibly caused small uh, heads in babies. Um, and so uh, uh, back in, in 2015, a viral, well, I'm not, I'm not gonna read the whole thing, but basically the point here is, is that we are actually engaging right now in infecting people with Zika uh, in the United States. Uh, this is called a human challenge trial. And uh, the, NIAID, part of the NIH, uh, and the CDC made a, uh, an ethics panel in 2016, which gave an answer in 2017 about this specific, specific topic, a human challenge trial for Zika. So what is that? That's like, well, they want to, if, if in fact you had to test the vaccine, would you slash should you infect people with Zika if you don't have enough people in the population who already have Zika so you can pair with their 
the, the vaccine worked or not. So um, it's kind of like if I had a special great umbrella, but it's not raining, how am I going to know if the umbrella really works or if I got these new boots or a winter coat and there's no winter around, how am I going to tell? Well, I could artificially, you know, freeze the room down to, you know, minus 20 degrees and, and check if my coat works. Well, fine. Um, but here you're talking about infected people with Zika. Now, if Zika is a bad enough bug, um, then you probably shouldn't be infecting people with it. And if it's not a bad enough bug, then why are you going to be infecting people to go for a vaccine when Zika itself has disappeared? Um, the odd thing is that this hasn't really been covered in the news anywhere. Um, we had, a, there were, there's an article, I think I quote here um, from 2018 in Science uh, Magazine. Uh, where is it? Do, 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 if I can find it fast enough. Um, I think this one, this one here. Um, so as, uh, well, I guess I'm getting locked out. As massive Zika vaccine trial uh, struggles, uh, researchers revive plan to intentionally uh, infect uh, people with Zika. So the disappearance of Zika made it tough for, for the $110 million NIAID funded uh, US studies uh, to do, um, to perform. So lo and behold, um, you know, what are they going to do? They're going to, um, they're going to go out and infect people. Well, this, this was a trial balloon and they, they, or, you know, they ran the, to change metaphors. They ran the flag up the flagpole and nobody saluted. Uh, Brazil uh, has kind of its FDA called Envisa. And they said, no, even though Dr. Fauci at the time was pressing for this, um, despite his own ethics panel having uh, demurred or, or refused uh, to give, um, you know, kind of its uh, uh, imprimatur to um, a human challenge trial. Uh, he wanted to go ahead with it uh, two years later anyway, because I don't know, because money, because the $110 million, because they want to spend it, they don't get to use it unless they do something with it. Uh, research, researchers like to get paid, there's more staff, more more this, more power, uh, more ways to, you know, shell out the money. I mean, that's a fair, you know, chunk of change. This is out of like a half a billion dollars that was devoted to the Zika vaccine in general. And there was no, you know, six years later, we have no vaccine. So I think, you know, they're feeling a, a little bit guilty or what I call here, the, um, uh, this paragraph here, the, uh, but NIAID's $110 million trial put researchers into some cost fallacy mode, choosing lucrative action over frugal caution. Dr. Fauci endorsed a Brazilian HCT human challenge trial two years after Zika's complete disappearance. Now he knows uh, vaccine data will keep. There was no urgency, yet he greenlit the what you know we call the Tuskegee option. You know, Tuskegee and Guatemala were both syphilis tests that were done um, and kept on too long at the danger of um, of of watching people get too ill and 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 die unnecessarily, uh, so that researchers could see the diagnostic pathway. Uh, the the ethicists in this case for Zika had concluded that Zika was non-fatal, non-fatal and avoidable, and in no way, you know, you know, the equivalent of epidemiologic war. So we didn't have to pull out all the stops. And yet, apparently, after Brazil turned down, you know, I think wisely, uh, because, the, you know, the jury's out whether, you know, Zika microcephaly was was real, given that it showed up only once, never showed up again. And dengue, its cousin, uh, is there all the time and never causes microcephaly. So Zika and dengue are essentially, you know, almost identical bugs, but Zika is kind of the harmless cousin of Zika. And so there's a lot of questions. The WHO itself had questions, you know, in January of 2016, whether this was a real connection. But there was a, a lot of political uh, pressure, if I'm repeating myself, um, <clears throat> that kind of goes into the public health mechanism about what things they should say and when and how. And a lot of times they err on the side of emergency and fright 
and there you have it. Um, so, you know, we, we spent a billion dollars uh, to kind of fund Zika research and Zika vaccine and so forth in 2016, but that was already when Zika was tailing off and we didn't necessarily know the, the, the you know, the degree of science that was coming out of Brazil. And let me cut to the chase, it wasn't that great. So, you know, I do have a book out now called Overturning Zika. You can find it on Kindle. And uh, maybe I'll show a link to that as well. Uh, I recommend you buy it, A, because it'll make me, uh, you know, nine or ten dollars wealthier, um, which is always a great thing. But I think it's a really fascinating look at the public health mechanism and how it fails uh, sometimes to do exactly the right thing. And there's a lot of politics in public health. Um, so there you have it uh, for today. Um, so we're clocking in a half hour. Um, let me know if there's anything else you'd like to cover. Um, I don't know if I did an adequate job today. Um, maybe I'll just leave with a few um, anecdotes just from regular daily life. Um, I last, I, I, I'm a pretty social being, and so I go out and about. Uh, I own some property in a local town, and uh, I went to a political fundraiser. And it's kind of a blue collar town. Um, so I also go to Boston. I've been in and out of Boston a fair amount. <laughs> um, I think on a previous episode, I mentioned that I'd gone to the live theater. You know, there was the Lyric Theater uh, in Boston. It's right uh, kind of downtown slash back bay. Um, nice spot, an interesting show, sort of. It wasn't, it wasn't a great show, but they, they made us, everybody, all vaccinated. Everybody vaccinated. I had to show the vaccination card. They made everyone wear a mask, and they had mask patrols. And in d different parts of the show, which is supposed to represent Shakespeare's time, they had people come out with scrolls like the town crier and tell everyone to put their masks on. It was just a total break in the kind of the suspension of, of disbelief that you need um, to go to the theater. And, and I, you know, I, I tried to, you know, make it as a chin bra um, a lot of times. <laughs> but, uh, you know, they had a, a patrol person coming around and with the lights half on, I guess, intermission or whatever, you know, she, uh, you know, invasion of the body snatcher pointed me out and, and um, you know, told me to put it on right now, full face. And, you know, no, I was sitting far away from, I was sitting kind of in the back purposefully, you know, easily four or five seats from anybody else and all by my lonesomes, you know, socially distanced and vaccinated and with a car and all that kind of stuff. And, and that wasn't good enough. So I said, you know what, I'm going to take a hard pass on this thing. And I didn't stick around uh, for the rest of the show. My uh, wife and her friend um, and our friend did, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I was the only one who left. Um, ceremoniously or unceremoniously, um, but there you have it. That that's Boston. So in the next town over, practically uh, kind of more blue collarish. Um, I was at a political event last week, and it was super awesome. We was at a hotel, a ballroom, and people were far closer than they were in the theater in Boston. And everyone's milling around, and it was so 2019 or 2018. You know, people were having a great time. They were enjoying each other, patting each other on the back, and no mask, not a single mask to be found not a single mask. And it's just amazing. You know, you think that people would, that this, I mean, it's not as if, you know, this is some other planet, uh, some other continent, some other country, some other state. It, it, these are towns like a mile or two away from each other. And and the, the difference is vast. And, uh, you know, it's inexplicable. So what, what you tend to see is just kind of weird social configurations. I, obviously, still now, if you go to uh, many hospitals, doctors, offices, people are, you know, all masked up. You know, I, I uh, watch the uh, basketball games and our Celtics coach, apparently he's a reasonable coach. I think it's first year, Ime, Ime Udoka. Uh, Udoka, he's from Nigeria originally by family heritage. Um, but he does this weird, weird thing. 
<laughs> where for his pregame interview, uh, he's got a full mask on. So he's muffled. You can't understand him. And then during the game, he's either got a completely gone. He's close up to people talking right in their face or the refs and everything like that. And another time he's not near anybody. He's wearing a mask. And sometimes he'll wear a chin bra uh, for good lengths of time. Uh, nonsensical. And, there, and, and I, I've kind of, you know, mentally kind of mapped it because I'm watching the game anyway. And you watch enough of them, you get repetition. Of, of the different and independent of where he is, which whether it's home or away, uh, whether independent of what time of the game, uh, there's no rhyme or reason. It just kind of seems like sometimes it's in his pocket, I guess, and sometimes he's wearing it on one ear, sometimes under the chin, sometimes over. The, and and it could be in the fourth quarter he decides to put it back on again. I, tell me if this makes any sense. I don't I don't see it. And you know, I, I have a professor friend at one of the uh, state colleges, and. Um, They've finally, finally taken away the mask mandate there, but people are still uh, wearing uh, masks. A lot of the young students are still wearing them. Uh, they're terrified. I, I belong to a couple different gyms, and one of them is a uh, tennis, out in kind of a tennis pavilion. And this seems to go a little bit ethnically. Uh, there's a lot of uh, kind of, you know, first generation Chinese Americans there, and they have, uh, you know, kind of a Chinese fan dance class. And then they have a lot of swimmers and so forth, and huge numbers always wearing the mask. Uh, I suppose they don't wear it in the water swimming, but every other moment, and the kids are dancing with masks and they're sitting in the waiting room and kind of like your more, uh, more ancestrally generated uh, Americans, uh, less so. At uh, any rate, there's a lot of it. I, I have no idea why young people are doing it. I, I assume it has to do with kind of the social thing. Um, but, you know, go figure. I don't think it has much to do with the science. I think we're going to be finding a lot of this thing falls away, um, you know, as, as this kind of scales fall from people's eyes. Um, I uh, enjoyed talking with you tonight. Um, please uh, share this. Please give me advice and thoughts about how we might improve the show and things you'd like to see, hear about. And again, so, um, my promotion is please go check out my book, Overturning Zika, Overturning Zika, Z-I-K-A. It's on Amazon. I'm going to have uh, different editions coming out. I'm going to be hopefully having a, a Zika comic book and um, and a graphic novel on the same topic of what, what went wrong, you know, possibly with some of the initial science um, and uh, some interesting stuff there. Um, anyway, thank you for tuning in and uh, look forward to seeing you next week. Have a good night.